Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Is there anybody listening to this that isn't doing the hands? I bet everyone is doing the hands. Everyone. Oh, I sort of miss Michael Jackson. Isn't that just fantastic? I miss Michael Jackson. But the first thing you do is the hands, isn't it? But I remember that was the first video when the Thriller video came out that I rented and you had to leave with the video shop a cheque. I think I was in Edinburgh and you had to leave a cheque for £65 in case you never took it back. Wow. That is how you used to watch films back in the day. In the day. Well, first time it's I too easy that, nowadays, isn't it? It, it was there's too much choice, I think. I was looking for something the other night and I was going between Netflix, Amazon Prime, Sky... And I was like, I couldn't decide because there were so many things I wanted to watch. I couldn't decide. So I wanted, well, I watched nothing, nothing, nothing. But then Netflix starts suggesting things like some sort of awful boyfriend. We thought you might like, we thought you might like. No. Bugger off. No. I remember when I was at school and the thriller thing come out, they actually had showings in the common room where they would put a showing on of... (laughs) the Michael Jackson thriller video because at that time a lot of us didn't have video players in our homes it wasn't like something that we a lot of people had I remember we got our first one and it was a big thing it was like oh look we've got a video player so (laughs) we just used to keep creeping off to the common room to watch it well, the film I watched yesterday wasn't scary, although this is a Halloween special, isn't this is it? This is our Halloween special, hence the thriller music. Do you know you're not supposed to buy pumpkins anymore and carve them? Why? Because people don't want to eat them because they're flavourless and they just rot and it's a waste of food. You should buy a squash and carve a squash and eat the squash. But I hate squash as well. I hate squash. But you can make pumpkin pie. Can't you no, it's flavourless. Don't, don't disagree. No, I'm just but people waste the innards. They have pumpkin pie in America, don't they? So I watched a film yesterday called Ticket to Paradise, which is George Clooney and Julia Roberts. I do love a bit of George Clooney. Yes, he's very handsome in it, and he gets his top off. And they're a, a divorced couple, and they go to Bali for their daughter's wedding to a, a man in Bali. And it's a rom-com, and it had fantastic reviews. A fantastic review from Tom Schoen at the Sunday Times, who I used to fancy. And it was awful. I, I mean, I write better films than no, that. I, I, it my, wasn't my, funny. The daughter no. was insipid. That was my dad's favourite saying, oh, it's, he's insipid. The daughter was insipid. The storyline was stupid. It just was awful. Do not watch 
Tickets are powered. I, I, I want my money back. So what horror film did you see for the podcast, well, Nicola? <laughs> I went to see Halloween Ends because obviously we've all watched it and I thought surely this time Michael Myers dies. It's the bugger that never dies, does he? Also, the never woman dies. in it never dies, does she? Jamie Watts, no, Jamie Lee Curtis, she never, she never dies, dies. And he never dies. And I thought, come on then. Um, I took mum to see because mum likes a horror film. In fact, when I was a kid, my mum used to have a television on top of the wardrobe when I was really young. And we used to watch Hammer House of Horrors. And they used to have a double bill on a Saturday night, I think it was. So we used to go into my mum's bed and watch these things with all their snacks. We'd have a snacks. And um, I asked for the tickets and the woman's face just went... <gasps> and she said, well, you've got the whole cinema to choose your seat. So I said, oh, great, got the cinema to herself. It's lovely because, to be honest, mum likes to talk through a film. So it's sort of less stressful if the cinema's to herself. She keeps asking questions. So she's going, no, it's rubbish. I've seen it. So it's the woman rubbish. selling tickets in the cinema told you not to go? The woman selling tickets said she'd seen it and it was one of the worst films ever. So we instead we went to see Smile, which apparently she'd seen twice and said was really good. So who's in that? I don't remember who's in it, but it's two very handsome men that I've not heard of. And the handsome men are a definite consolation to everything else. It's a really good film. Lots of jumps. It's a little bit different from your typical horror thing but the worst thing is is there's a cat so instantly there's a cat on comes on the screen you know damn well you can't enjoy the rest of the film because you're waiting for the cat to die yeah you know at some point the cat's going to be strung up or what mutilated the cat? the cat dies it's terrible i'm not I'm, there's no there's no big reveal here we all know the minute we see the cat is going to die it's re- it's really great it's, it's sort of a little bit different. It's a little bit different story. It's not your usual in a cabin in the woods and, and the spooks. So I really liked that. The woman and her sister had the most enormous engagement rings. She had the most handsome husband and the most handsome devoted ex. But she was haunted by demons. Well, it's I don't want to give too much away, but it was it's a sort of demon thing that goes from person to person. Um, yeah, I got one of those. And... <laughs> It, it, but it was, it was really good. But I want to know, in these horror films, and I love horror films, I watch them all the time, why do they walk around in the dark? Why don't they put the sodding kitchen Why do on? they go in the cellar? Why? You just say to them, don't go in the cellar. Don't why? go in the cellar. Why, why are you going in the cellar? Why? why? So, again, so we're sitting there watching her walking around the kitchen, you know, being tormented by demons. She's not put the bloody light on. It's not like the light's a few. She's not putting... Why? Why? Why don't they lock their doors? Why don't they lock the doors? But it is a good film. I'd definitely say go and see it. I, I will go and see Halloween End. Just no, because, why? Well, I know everyone says it's rubbish, but it's the last one. And I wish they wouldn't do them to death. They did, you know, Freddy Krueger to death, didn't they? They, they Scream to death. Scream to death. They go on and on and on. But I kind of just want to see him die. I do. Just, it's got to, I, I, need, I need that closure. I do need that closure. But we've got we've got lots of horror stories, haven't we? Well, I haven't told you about my film oh, yet. Got... You... Oh, you... Honestly. Not my I saw men. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? This is a horror film and it has to involve the word men. Well, it just does. And it's a British film and it's about this woman who goes off... Because, you see, I, I'm the sort of person who likes grand designs. I like nice, attractive locations. He had a nice house in then, did it? 
So this had a nice house that she rents in the countryside. But when she arrives at the lovely house in the countryside that she rents, there's this awful man who owns it who lives nearby. And you think, oh, dear God, the man who owns it lives nearby. They're going to annoy me all weekend. And see, I brought four dogs and not one small one. Um, and he shows around, you know, it's all a bit dodgy. I knew he was dodgy from the first bit. And then she goes off for long walks and sees this naked man in a tunnel. But the reason she's gone off to grieve is because her boyfriend either commits suicide or falls in front of her. And that's a very good scene. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. But then the film, it just disintegrates. It just oh. becomes up. Absolutely ridiculous. So it's another sort of cabin in the woods one, really. Well, it's a nice holiday cottage. So it's a posh cabin in the woods. But it's directed by Alex Garland. Now, you know who Alex Garland is? No. How can you not know who Alex Garland is? Well, I do when you tell me. Sometimes you don't know who people are until you tell it and you put it in context and then you know who they are. Well, he wrote The Beach... Right. Which was made into film with Leonardo DiCaprio. And as we know, I stayed in Leonardo DiCaprio's room in Thailand. You never mentioned that. And I went to the very same bay. And then Alex Garland moved into screenwriting and directing. And he directed Ex Machina, which has that beautiful actress in it who's married to the man with the big penis. Beautiful. Alicia Vikander. Man with big penis. Yes. Which one was that? Well, he's the one in, um, you know, he walks around his flat without his clothes on. The following with Gillian Anderson, that one? No. <laughs> but the one where he has his penis. The penis. Do remember we kept calling him the penis? Is there some sort of correlation between us talking about supernatural and horror films and big penises? Is there some sort of relationship with that? Is it a scary penis? It's so big. You've been watching Channel 4, haven't you? <laughs> Michael Fassbender. Oh, Fassbender. I remember you talking about his huge So film. his famous film... Anyway, he was married to Alicia Vikander. Why were we talking about her? Oh, because Alex Garland directed Alicia in... And do you remember, she's a robot, and she's yeah, so sad beautiful. to be a robot. Yeah. And she ends up killing her sort of captor. It's, she was like this sort of slave. Brilliant film. Brilliant ending, because really she walked away triumphant. But this has the most ludicrous ending of any film I've ever seen. Man, oh. it completely spoiled it for me. Well, I was going to watch it. I'm probably not going to bother now. But we've had quite a lot of spooky experiences, haven't we? Well, Nick has more than I have, I would say. No, but we had quite a lot together, didn't we, when we lived in Somerset? Yeah, Somerset, I think, is on too many ley lines. It's quite near Glastonbury. And I was quite scared in that house, to be honest. No, even I. I mean... A lot of the experiences I've had have been quite nice, like my cat, you know, getting on the bed after she died and things like that. Did you that. have that? I've had that, yeah, I've had that. Um, Which cat? Holly, when when Holly died. Um, it was one when I was a child, I was at my nan's and I felt it get on the bed and walk across me. But a lot, of, a, a lot of experiences are nice, aren't they? We see loved ones, but some of them aren't so good. We've had some of the not-so-good ones, haven't we? Yeah. Talk about Go We both, wasn't we? We both, I mean, I'm sort of like quite... I'm I'm quite good with sort of things like that are a bit spooky and that. I don't get too... So, but even I was very uncomfortable. We, ha we had um, a lot of things happening, didn't we? Do you remember we had a, a woman in to cleanse it because the house was doing all sorts of strange things. We had a lot of bad luck there. There was... 
a lot of horrible stuff going on and we lots had of arguments lots of arguments lots of it was just it was just it just had a horrible feeling you walk into a room it'd be stone cold or you just got that feeling someone was watching you didn't you oh i'd be sitting around. in it was very small actually the sitting room by the fire with i only had one collie then sam and all of a oh, sudden, yeah. he would go nuts. Nuts. And his hackles would be up and he'd just be barking at a window. And you'd go out and there was sort of no one there. But his hackles were up and he was barking. That used to put the window up. And me. he'd bark at the window as well, wouldn't he, that went from the front room into the into the, the corridor. Yeah, you know, to that the was weird. To the house. So it wasn't even like there was anything. And I remember Liz phoning me up one night saying... Sam will not stop barking. And I went out and walked around the house and looked to see if anyone was on the property. And there was nothing there. But that happened a lot, didn't yeah. it? He did that to me as well. We had a, a place under the barn. I lived in the in the barn and underneath was the old barns, you know, where we kept hay and that sort of thing. And there was a place in there. Now, I all my life, I've ridden out in the dark. I've walked my dogs in the dark. Um, in the middle of Epping Forest. I'm, I'm, I'm not someone that worries about it. I've done it all my life. But I didn't, did I? I never wanted to go under there to get hay. And if it was at night, I would I would not go near that corner. It was like some sort of horrible vortex thing that we found out afterwards. So we got a person in, didn't we? We got a person in to try and cleanse the house and stuff. And there was a lot of activity in your cellar, wasn't there? And it was. You did not want to go in that cellar. You did not. You go down there. It was cold. It was horrible. It gave you the creeps. But she was doing the cleansing, wasn't she? And she was actually recording it. And we went back into my place afterwards to listen to the recording and talk about what had happened. And we heard, didn't we, steps coming down into the cellar. Yeah. And we weren't wearing shoes obviously because no. i don't have shoes in the house no and it was steps and there was voices and whispering growling growling that and wasn't sam what was really awful we were sitting there listening to this and the door that went from from my kitchen into into a bedroom slammed didn't it it slammed shut i don't know that it slammed it moved it it really moved. It wasn't a little movement. It wasn't like, oh, there's a little breeze and the door moved. It was, it moved, move. And I had that a lot in the barn. I mean, that sort of really put the wind up us, didn't it? We sort of sat there. I mean, I think even the woman that was clearing the house wasn't too keen on that. And I ended up, I would shut the doors. I had my bedroom, which went into another bedroom, which went into my kitchen. And the two doors, the two connecting doors, I would shut and put, put the lock on. Because they would keep opening and closing. And even though I put the lock on, they would still open. Well, it's funny. I went down into my kitchen this morning and it was like a scene from the poltergeist. Every single cupboard was open. Every single cupboard was... Do you know that scene in the poltergeist? She goes in the kitchen, yeah, everything's yeah, open. Yeah, yeah. And I was like... Ah! But then I remembered I touched up the paintwork last night and left them open to dry. <laughs> You touched up the paintwork, left right. <laughs> and then I go down the window. Ah! Well, did you make that noise? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so I, I feel, because I live with my collies, I really feel they protect me. 
No, definitely. I don't feel scared because I've got dogs with me in the house. Definitely. I mean, when I was in, in that barn, honestly, it was the, it's, it's the time I've most been nervous in my life. I've got to be honest. I really, I felt someone watching me in the bedroom. I just, I just didn't like it. And when I was talking to the psychic about it, you know, we sort of both independently came up with the same name for this person. Ah, um, who was it? John. Um, apparently, it was someone I'd had a previous life with at Upcott. It was, it was all really horrible. And but I always felt that when my cats were on the bed safe. and my dogs were in the bed, I felt safe because I felt that cats are absolutely your protectors and dogs, but cats particularly. With things like spiritual stuff, they are absolutely going to protect you. I did. I always felt that. Have we had any Miranda Priestley moments? We have. We have. We have a plethora of Miranda Priestley moments this week. Okay, so Liz was writing a piece all about well-being, wasn't you? Yeah. It's going to be a big piece that will be in very soon. So this is writing this big piece about well-being and coping with stress and how stress plays out in your body. And then at one point, Liz, who is writing about well-being and not being stressed, thumps her keyboard and has a screaming fit. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you practice your breathing? 60 seconds of long, deep breaths. Let's say I wasn't popular. I wasn't popular, was I? I've actually worn out all the... Ke- I've got a new laptop new keyboard and i've worn them out again apple are always amazed that i've worn out my keys no, I wore, you do. they are amazed when i, t- I took even techie kids in california don't no. wear out their keyboards as fast as me they want to come and like experiment on me and find out how i do it you need to start pressing your buttons in your different areas you obviously always press it on that bit yeah but that's because i'm trained isn't it you're trained though you're trained though <laughs> do you want to hear this week's column let's hear it well it's a bit of a zeitgeisty one, really, because it's all about the financial crisis. And I don't know, there's lots of sort of, I call them the chattering classes, really. It's, I think a lot of commentators can't really relate to what their readers are going through because they're too rich and they live in a Westminster bubble and they live in a beautiful townhouse. Yeah. And it's like, whenever I see someone on telly, you know that Allegra Stratton who got sacked over party gate and it was she came out of the house to apologize and i'm looking at the house I'm like, how does she live in that house mm. you know they've got no concept of, no. of what it is for ordinary people so the heading is in which the energy crisis hits home the thing i say most often almost every day is not my dad fought the nazis or I'm not a 1950s housewife to delivery men and drivers who try to enter my house with their shoes on, although I do say both of those quite a lot. A lot. No, it's this. How do people with children possibly manage with providing food every day, heating the house, clothing them, doing laundry every day, driving them places? Growing up, I didn't really give much of a thought when I was very young to how on earth my parents fed and clothed seven children especially given my dad was in the army, Nazis. Then he worked for the NHS, and my mum never had a paying job. Well, she was a dinner lady, but didn't really pay her. Lack of money only entered my consciousness when I was very young twice. Once, when my mum revealed she was too scared to go to the greengrocer, Thomas's, as she owed them £60. Second, when I was on a school trip to St Paul's, my orange squash leaked because it wasn't in a proper container, 
and a can of coke was too expensive i think a can of coke was about 10p then or something that was way too expensive and i didn't have the two shillings required to climb up to the whispering gallery so had to stay parked on a pew on my own there were some slightly chippy reviews when my memoir was published saying i wasn't properly poor as i had riding lessons as a child They seem to have skirted over the paragraphs that described how I took a job washing up in a pub, the wheat sheaf, to pay for my lessons, and I wore second-hand jobs and school plimp soles rather than riding boots. We had no central heating, just a coal fire in one room, which my mum never lit before 6pm. There were hooks on the outside of the sitting room door, so you could put your coat back on whenever you left the room with the fire. I was so cold in bed at night, despite a hot water bottle, which mottled my thighs, that in order to read a book, I had to alternate my hands, one holding the book until it froze, to be replaced with the other one, which had been hiding between my thighs. I'm saying how do people with children manage, as I've been emailing back and forth with Octopus Energy. Since moving up into a two-up, two-down cottage, where it's one-up, one-down, really, isn't it? Yeah. I've paid £325 a month by direct debit. I'm just one person. And it is a small house. I mean, it is really small. It's the size of a rabbit hunt. Yeah, it is. I never understood the mania for these utility companies to stop sending us quarterly bills for whatever been used and then you still pay it but anyway i complied i don't understand this direct debit they still make you read the bloody meter every month it gets on my nerves anyway in august a man who had to take his shoes off i'm not a etc came and read the meter and in september i logged onto my account and i saw that i'm two thousand five hundred pounds in credit so i applied to get five hundred pounds back which is the maximum amount And then someone got in touch and asked me to take photos of the meter readings, clearly showing the serial number. I did as I was asked, even though I was tempted to reply, I don't work for you. Then I got an email. Dear Miss Jones, thank you for the readings. You're currently £12,000 in debt. Love and power. The Octopus Energy team. I'll give them love and power. Yeah. Love, 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 love. Yeah. That can't be right. I'm thinking of ringing up Liz Truss. I see. I, ne- I was never in favour of her, was I? I was no, right, wasn't no, I? No, you was very anti her. You were team wishy. Asking why she kept repeating robot fashion. Why has she always got her mouth open? She's like a fish, isn't she? <laughs> she kept repeating, no one will pay what more than £2,500 a year. Of course, we all know now, though she didn't bother saying so. She meant no average household, but I'm a below average household. No, you are, because you're a single person. You're not a big family using multiple rooms. I tell them it must be a mistake. They say they're going to send an engineer to check the meter, but if it turns out not to be faulty, do you know what they said? What did they say? If it's not faulty and we've sent an engineer, we will add £80 to your £12,000 bill. Well, why not? I mean, 12 grand, you might as well have another eighty. Until you are in financial difficulty, I don't think anyone appreciates the horror that comes with it. See, these people in a, in a bubble in London don't understand the horror because no. they've never appreciated They've got rich husbands. The threats, the indifference, the sleepless nights, the blame, 
even from intelligent people who should be on your side, people you pay, colleagues, friends, family, partners. You live in constant fear that something will go wrong because you're so close to the edge. If anything goes wrong, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. Small things floor you. A chipped mug when you only own two. You burn the last slice of bread. No, it is. It's, and, I, and I think you've made a really good point. You know, these people, it's very hard to understand what other people are going through until you do have that experience. It, it is genuinely hard. I mean, my best friend has been chronically ill for years and years and years. And I've always obviously been very sympathetic. And uh, But it is honestly now, only since I've felt so ill for about a year, that I really understand what that's like to just go on and on and on. And... And it's, it's the same with money. You know, people that... So my favourite is people that say, oh, I'm skin, but they've still got, like, about five grand in the savings account. You know, that's not being skin. Being skin is not being able to buy food, not yeah. being able to pay yeah. utilities. That is being skin, not being able to put petrol in the car. And I think unless you've experienced it, I don't think anybody no, knows I, how awful it is. I think the worst moment for me, because everything happened at once... I was in my car, having worked in London. I was on the roundabout at Hammersmith before you get onto the M4, and I was in—I was stationary in a traffic jam. I knew I had a four or five-hour journey ahead of me. All I had was fumes in my car, yeah. and at that point, when I was thinking, "Oh God, I can't get to a petrol station," I wonder if I've got enough to get home. My agent phoned me and said, "Oh, you haven't got—I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here!" And I literally broke down. Yeah. I literally broke down because I couldn't see a not, way out. Not one more thing. And no one will help you. I remember no. when I've had relatives in trouble, I just send them a cheque for a £1,000. I've helped yeah. people in trouble when they've had no money. No one helped yeah. me. Yeah. And, and, the only and thing I've say, had since the cottage has been up for sale is the movie star saying I'll lend you the money, but obviously yeah. I wouldn't take it. No, no, but it's so nice that someone would bother to say, I will help you, even if you can't take it. And I've only nice. met her probably twice, this movie star, my family haven't helped me. No. And I think what you say about people with children, I mean, we, we have it an extent because if we're skin and we can't feed our animals, that's worrying and upsetting. And we go without, don't we? If yeah. we're skin, we, we will feed our animals. How do people ourselves. feed teenage children? It's so, exo- I, so it's expensive. unbelievable. I mean, I remember when I was out one day and I was walking through the town and this woman came out and a security guard come out after her and she'd stolen some food. And you could clearly see she'd stolen nappies. She'd stolen formula. She stole food. And the security guard come out and the police came. And I, and I said, look, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll pay for it. You know, and I told her, go in, get some shopping, I'll pay for it. They should have just let her go. And the police, the police woman did. The police woman said, you know, to the security guard, look, this is obviously a, a poverty situation. She will we'll get some support in place for it. Do you know what I mean? We need to get some support. And they did let her go. But how awful to be in that position, you know. And, and she was a really nice one. She was humiliated. And even when I said, come on, let's get you some shopping. Because you can't just walk past. You can't do nothing. She was being so careful what she put in the trolley. And I'm like, she's got three kids at home. I'm like, no, take what you want. Get, until you can get some help, get a shop thing. It's funny, when you were a child, though, that, as I say, the only time I noticed that my mum was struggling was those t- twice yeah. when she said, oh, I can't go to Thomas's because I owe them £60. And she a lot was, of money then, wasn't it? Well, she was so scared, scared to tell my dad I couldn't go up the, to the Whispering Gallery yeah. in St Paul's so I didn't have the money. Yeah. She made all our clothes. 
so this was the 60s you'd see something and she'd buy the material and she'd make it you choose the material in the department store she'd make your clothes but how my mum coped with seven children with no money and she would very often she'd make a stew and get to her and there was nothing left she said oh no I don't want anything she very often wouldn't eat but I think because I had such a puritanical upbringing as a child it's never ever left me yeah i'm very you think i people think i spend a money a lot of money i don't i did that feature didn't i when i yeah, compared yeah. someone's shops in the high street yeah. i bought one thing from prada you know i still now wear that suit i bought yeah. in 1998 i think a lot of us have lost the skills sort of the younger people have lost the skills of cooking because there's so much processed food there's so much convenience food like my mum and, and i well, we'll go in our fridges and we'll say, right, we've got this, this and this. What can I make with it? You know, what, what can I put it together with to try and make something out of it? We don't throw anything away we don't have to. And I think a lot of the problem is we're not really teaching younger people to cook properly. You know, it's all about what you can go into a supermarket. And, and that's expensive to eat that way. I never eat ready meals. They make me ill. No. Well, you can get some lovely ready meals. Like, you know, all plants, are sort of, they cook it all fresh and they put it in, you know, it's not it's not like processed food. It's like home-cooked food. But they're expensive. You know, if you're going to go to Tesco's and get your pound fifty macaroni cheese, it is going to make... It's, it's going to be processed food. But that's what some people... They don't know how to make a macaroni cheese, which would be cheaper in the long run to make a big batch of it. So I find it, that's something I think we really need to address. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Should we move on to the archive? Let's go to the archive. Well, there was a piece in the Times, I think it was the other day, and it said there's a new survey that said women... Of all ages are dating younger men and they say how wonderful it is. And it talks about Eleanor, 44, who dated lots of different young men. And there was a little quote in there that made me quite angry. And she said, these men, a decade my junior, were refreshing in their approach to an older, successful, assertive woman. The competitive, sometimes combative edge I detected when I dated someone my own age was delightfully absent. They didn't care I earned more or was more senior in my career. They thought it was sexy and brilliant. And since I've never expected a man to buy my dinner, I didn't really mind that they couldn't. Yeah, um... It's all glamorising it a bit, isn't it? You know, all older woman, successful, got money. I mean, I've dated young. But they men do mind. They do mind. They do mind. Like my husband was so competitive and chippy with me. You see, chippy. chippy. It's back again, chippy. isn't it? Chippy. He absolutely. And also, you get into this role where you're the mother, telling them what to do and looking after them and buying them stuff and paying for stuff and in the end that gets really really wary yeah i I agree it does get wary and you and you don't sort of moddy coddle them and look up to them in the way someone of their own age in their say in their 20s does so the column is from 2008 and the heading was i discover where i've been going badly wrong i was sharing a strangely sexist hotel room in new york with my ex-husband so he was ex by then, and I couldn't help but snoop through his emails. I know I shouldn't have done it, but really, if you don't want someone to read your emails, you should log off. 
Anyway, I started to realise why I've never had any success with men. I'm obviously not forward enough. One woman wrote to him simply, do you want to have sex? Another told him she just moved into her new flat and could he pop round to help her move a chest of drawers, adding she was making mint tea naked. Another sent him a picture of herself to which she replied, four, and then she wrote back saying that he hadn't seen anything yet. Just wait till she lets him take her clothes off. The audacity of these women. Looking back, all the emails I sent my husband were either about the cats or about buying the right sort of prawns for Susie or detailed instructions on putting the rubbish out. And while to me these women seem hopelessly desperate and short on self-respect, to a man who might well be afraid of being rejected, their blatant availability was surely an ego boost. They kept praising him. I miss your sharp wit. You're such a clever, kind man, destined for great things. Oh, dear God. This is also where I went wrong. Although on the whole I was supportive, I thought it was my job to tell him if he was coming up short. I can see now this is something you should never, ever do. He won't change. He'll just resent you, cheat on you to wreak revenge. The women also cannily asked for his help. Can you read my piece and tell me if it was any good? You're such a great writer. It was quite funny as I scrolled through his inbox when I occasionally opened a message I'd sent him. The contrast was extraordinary. One read... No, Paul, I won't remember you fondly. I'll remember you as a freeloading shit. <laughs> I, wasn't, right. I wasn't the only woman who was angry with him. One, the woman who had asked him whether he wanted to meet up for sex, obviously found out he was having sex with someone else, a secretary had corresponded with on Facebook. She copied in, in on an email she had sent to his Facebook tart, toppling his elaborate house of cards. I can see now why men have never liked me. I'm too shy to send them pictures of myself. I've never initiated sex ever, even on my honeymoon. I've never buttered a man up or flirted or simpered or done any of the things these women do. Who really could be that bothered? My glimpse into the modern world of dating and what he is up to now that he's single just made me happy I'm not a party to any of it. Seems shallow, loveless, sordid. Tomorrow, I say goodbye to him for the last time as he leaves for new, his new life in Delhi. Well, that didn't last long. It's a shame we never worked out, he said, coming into the room. Did you learn anything from our time together, I asked him. I'll never cheat again, he said. It's not worth it. It turns you into a liar. It's too late now, I said. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. We've had some spooky letters. Had some spooky Should we just letters? have one? Oh, I don't know. We just have Ian. Hello, just Ian. Have Ian, our favourite Ian. He says, do ghosts exist? Of course they do. My wife and I were over at a parent's house for Boxing Day dinner. Over my parent's shoulder in the hall, we both saw the same thing. A young, slim man in a blue striped shirt raising and lowering his arm. The house many years ago was stables, so maybe a worker from that time? Our own house has two ghosts that we know of. We think they're children. They'll throw things in the living room at night and if you're in bed, literally jump on top of you if they want to play. 
Strangest thing is you feel it when they land on you. And finally, one from work. I was working on an old monastery which had been used as a school. This was in Ireland. I was in the former bedrooms of the students when down the bottom of the corridor I could distinctly hear sobbing. Of course, nothing was there when I went to see it. The building had a dark history. I've got more than this. (gasps) (laughs) Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.